Well, welcome back to our sermon series called Unlikely Missionaries, as we're looking at all the unlikely people who Jesus used to be his disciples and to be his missionaries. I'd like to start this message off by showing you a letter that we got from the city of New Hope. Dear Holy Trinity, after further inspection, we have decided that nothing in your building project is up to code. You will have to tear down the second floor and start over completely. Best regards, the city of New Hope. Pretty crazy, huh? Uh, wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't that be an awful scenario? After all of our labor, after all of the fundraising and the planning, all of our volunteer weekends, they mean nothing. We have to start completely over. Um, obviously, this letter's fake, but doesn't it make your blood boil? Just the thought of it, after all this work, after all this effort, of starting completely over. If this letter was real, there would be some mad people in this room. There'd be some angry people because we put in so much effort and we want to see this project finish. And I almost wonder, I almost wonder, if the way how someone would react to getting a letter like that is the same way of how some people respond to God's grace. God's grace is the idea that he forgives our sins 100% and it's 100% his doing and he does it for us freely that every single person, no matter what you've done, it has been forgiven by Jesus on the cross. And if you've grown up Lutheran, you may be conditioned to thinking that grace, that's it's a beautiful, it's a great thing, saved by grace alone. But in some ways, isn't grace a little ridiculous? Isn't it a little unfair? That you are in the same boat as serial killers and prostitutes and criminals. That you're in that same boat. Uh, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to learning uh, that you, everything that you've done throughout your life has contributed nothing to your salvation? All of your volunteer hours every dollar that you've given to church or to charity, every hour that you've spent in God's word, it's contributed nothing to your salvation. That if somebody was a criminal their whole life, but five minutes before they died, they converted and believed in Jesus, they go to the exact same place that you go to. Can you understand how some people might respond this way to God's grace? You're telling me I have to start over? All the things that I've done through my life, all these good things, every nice thing that I did, every smile that I smiled to somebody, it doesn't count towards anything. I'm in the same boat as everybody else who does bad things. Doesn't God's grace seem a little unfair to hear that message? Well, today we're going to look at a story where Jesus talks to a man named Nicodemus. And we're going to see a reaction that he has similar to that. Similar to this idea of, instead of seeing God's grace as this beautiful thing right off the bat, he's going to think that, in some ways, it's unfair. So let's look at this story again. The first verse, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So the Pharisees back then, they were kind of the top of the top. They were very religious, they were wealthy, uh, and very well educated. So they kind of had that reputation among people that these are, you know, the good guys. They're morally upright, they're religious, they have money. These are kind of the good people in our society. And Nicodemus, it says there that he was also part of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, that's a 
some people call that um, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, they're kind of like the top of the top, even out of the Pharisees, and only 72 Pharisees got to be part of this particular group. And Jesus is talking to one of these guys who's at the top of the top, a man named Nicodemus, not only as a Pharisee, but he's also part of the Jewish ruling council. So a really upright, morally upright guy who's also very religious. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And there are all sorts of theories about why Nicodemus did this. The most common one was that like the Pharisees and Jesus didn't really get along, so he went to talk to him at night, so nobody found out under a cover of darkness he would still be hidden. But we don't know that. I mean, maybe Nicodemus was busy studying all day. Uh, maybe he talked to Jesus and said, hey, can we talk later? And Jesus was like, well, at 4 o'clock I'm healing a blind man, 5 o'clock turning water into wine, but hey, maybe later tonight, does that sound good? Uh, we don't know exactly the reason behind why it happened at night, but um, it's cer- certainly an interesting conversation that they have during night. Um, and you notice right away that uh, Nicodemus calls Jesus a teacher. He even says he's from God. He's a teacher from God. And the Pharisees, they were all about um, rule following. They loved the rules. They loved uh, you know, following everything that God has to say. Because you know in the Bible, there's a whole bunch of rules in the Bible. But the Pharisees, they came up with like an extra 600, an extra 600 rules that said, we're going to follow these rules just in case we don't break any of the other rules in the Bible. They had so many of these like ridiculous rules. Um, This last week I learned a new one that they had. They encouraged women that on the Sabbath day, you shouldn't look at a mirror. Because if you see a gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it and then you'd be working on the Sabbath. Kind of ridiculous, huh? Like I said, they love following the rules. So Nicodemus talks to Jesus and calls him a teacher. And I almost wonder if the back of uh, Nicodemus' mind, he's wondering if Jesus is going to tell him some more rules to follow. You guys are doing all these things, but let me tell you what you really should be doing. I kind of think that's what Nicodemus thinks how the conversation is going to go. But Jesus doesn't go that route. Instead, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Unless they are born again. So Jesus is using a metaphor here uh, called being born again. And it's an easily uh, misunderstood metaphor. Because in American Christianity today, there's like a whole other group of people that you call born again Christians. And when you think about a born again Christian, what do you normally think of? Oh, she was a college student, but she doesn't drink, she doesn't smoke, she doesn't cuss, and she doesn't sleep around. She's a born-again Christian. And everyone goes, oh, that's nice. Um, But what really is a born-again Christian? Because you look at this list here, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a man who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't cuss, doesn't sleep around, and Jesus tells him that you need to be born again. You've been following all these rules. You think you're so good because you're a Pharisee, but you need to start over. Can you imagine what it would be like for Nicodemus to hear that? To hear that he needs to start over. And do you see what Jesus is saying by that? Whether you have somebody that's so moral and does so many good things, or you have somebody that does something so terrible, 
We're all in it together. All people need to be born again. Well, from a poor person to a politician, from um, somebody who does uh, so many nice things, from somebody who works at a homeless shelter to a terrible criminal, we're all in the same boat that we all need to be born again. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's not about the good things that you do. Every single person, including Nicodemus, the great rule follower, the great religious guy who knows his Bible, he also needs to be born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And I kind of picture Nicodemus looking like a German shepherd after he hears like a dog whistle. Like, hmm? 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 Because that's, that's, what, that's what he's thinking. He's like, well, what? Uh, I'm, I'm looking for more rules here. You know, we, we got so many of these. I, and you're telling me something completely different that I need to be born again. And he just clearly doesn't get it. Jesus is using a metaphor, but then he just interprets it as a literal thing. You say I need to be born again, but I'm an old man. This is going to be an awkward conversation I have with my mom if I have to tell her to, I have to be born again. Um, he, he doesn't get it. And what's really interesting is you have this guy who's the top of the top, smarter than everyone else, and Jesus makes him look just so Dumb. I don't know for a better word. That's how this guy looks uh, from understanding what Jesus said, that all people need to be born again. But it's a great metaphor because um, six months ago, my daughter's six months old now, I got to see her uh, be born. And what was interesting is that when she was born, afterwards, um, all the nurses, all the people that visited us congratulated my wife. Which makes sense, because she was the one that was screaming and hollering while giving birth. You know, she was the one that was, uh, yeah, it happened. And um, But nobody complimented my daughter Ava. Nobody said, great job, you are so good at being born. No one says that, because being born is a passive idea. You don't take the credit for being born. You didn't have a decision uh, in the process. You were just born. It's something that just happened to you. Um, and that's the picture of salvation. It wasn't your idea. You didn't decide for it to happen. You didn't work really hard to be born again. It's 100% God's work. And that's what being born again means, is believing that the way that you came to faith was 100% God's work, that he's the one who worked faith in your heart to believe him as your Savior. That's what it means to be born again. But as you see here, Nicodemus clearly doesn't understand. And this was a tough process for him to, to get over There's another passage out there in the Bible. This isn't from our story, but later on, uh, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. So this was a different time in Jesus' ministry when he's talking to Pharisees. And he says, you know what, Pharisees? Tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into heaven before you. Now how is this possible? Last week we learned about Matthew, the tax collector, and all how corrupt tax collectors were back then. And prostitutes, I don't need to tell you about the sins that they did. You know that they're sinful. So how are these people, tax collectors and prostitutes, getting into heaven before the Pharisees? Well, it's because when Jesus told people that you need to repent for your sins, the tax collectors and prostitutes actually did it. They acknowledged their sinfulness and believed that Jesus could forgive them. But the Pharisees, when Jesus told them to repent, they said, what sins? What did I do wrong? 
I've been following all these rules. I'm a good person. I've memorized the scriptures, just like it said. And that's why prostitutes and tax collectors are better off in this situation, because the Pharisees, they look at themselves, and when they are told to repent, they say, what sins? What do I need to repent for? That's the problem that they had. That's the problem that Nicodemus had uh, when he had this conversation with Jesus. He wasn't understanding this idea of being born again. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Like I said before, Nicodemus just had such a tough time understanding this concept of being born again because he saw himself as such a morally upright person. I once heard a story about a teenage uh, teenager who got his first car, and it was a little silver Honda Civic. And he got his first car, and he was so excited about it, um, and he washed it and kept it clean all the time. You know, it was a, a real head-turner car, and he wanted to keep it that way. And he even bought, like, some of that um, tire shine, you know, like some of the stuff you can put in the tires to make the tires look big and extra black. So he'd drive the car all summer. He was washing it. He was shining it, making it look all pretty and polished. Um, until one day while he was driving, uh, the car just stopped. And all the lights on the dashboard lit up like a Christmas tree. And he didn't know what to do. So he called the tow truck, they brought it to the shop, and they said, um, when's the last time you had this car get an oil change? And the teenager said, oil change? It's... This teenager was caring more about the outside than the inside. And that's the same problem Nicodemus had. And that's the same problem you and I have. Do you care more about the outside or the inside? Do you care so much about doing good things because it makes you look good? It gives you a good reputation in society for people to know that you are a good person? When you do something good, are you so concerned about getting noticed getting the compliments afterwards. Is that why you serve in church? So that you can tell people that you serve in church? Do you care more about the outside or the inside? Uh, I heard a story last week uh, about um, a Christian family that they went down, or they went out to eat. And since they're a Christian family, they, they prayed before their meal. They had a little three-year-old daughter, and they let her, they said, how about, how about you lead the prayer? And she was just this cute little girl, and she folded her hands, and in her high-pitched, cute voice, she said the dinner prayer, um, and it was great. And after the little girl said amen, she looked over to her mom and said, Mommy, aren't you going to post that? The, see, this daughter had been trained, and the mom said, Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So what they did was the little girl, she pretended to pray again, and the mom took out the picture, took a picture, and then put it on Instagram. And it got a hundred likes. Uh, some other moms commented, hashtag mom goals, and how cute is it, this little girl praying. And my question for you is, what do you care about more? The outside or the inside? It's so easy to fall into the same trap that Nicodemus had of caring about the outside. Caring so much about appearances, making sure that you look good, making sure that you look better than that person. But this is a dangerous path to go on. It's a dangerous path to go on that Nicodemus was going on because in that mindset, you begin to tell yourself that since you look so good on the outside, you don't need help on the inside. Since I got my life put together so well, we don't need saving because I did it myself. Because I followed the rules. I'm a good person. That's the trap. That's the danger. 
That's the thing that we need to watch out for. Do you care more about the outside or the inside? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus, this is the last thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus. And he references back an Old Testament lesson, the first lesson that we read uh, today. And it was a story about the Israelites in the wilderness, in the desert. And they were wandering around. They were hungry. Even though they escaped from Egypt, they said to themselves, what good is it to escape from the Egyptians and their slavery if we're just going to die out in the desert? And since they started complaining, you know what God did? He sent snakes. He sent fiery, venomous snakes to bite the Israelites. And many of them died. But for those that didn't quite die yet, Moses was praying. He prayed to God, and God told Moses to make a snake and put it on a pole. So Moses took a copper, a piece of copper, and he welded it into the shape of a snake, and he put it on a pole. And that's when God told Moses, whoever looked at that snake will be saved. So all the Israelites that had their snake bites, who went and looked at this pole, looked at this snake, they were healed. Just like that. And Jesus says, that's what I did for you. Nicodemus came to Jesus and called him teacher. But Jesus wasn't concerned about that title. Instead, he came to be lifted up. Because Jesus knew that each one of us is born with venom in our veins. Venom in our veins that lead us to do and say and think terrible things. It leads us to think to ourselves that we're better than other people, that we don't need saving because we're so good. But just as a snake was lifted up on a pole, Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross. Just as whoever looked at the snake would, would believe and be healed, whoever looks at Jesus would be healed and would, uh, would be born again. Jesus died so that we could be born again. Because whoever looks at him, whoever believes in him, will be given a new life, a new life free from the venom of sin that we may live to honor God by what we do. That's what Jesus did. He wasn't just a teacher. He was a savior. And that's the message that he had to teach to Nicodemus. That's really interesting that that's, that, that verse that I just read you, that's where the conversation ends. It doesn't tell us how Nicodemus reacted. It doesn't say if he got upset or if he believed it. We don't really know what happened. Until many chapters later, towards the end of the book of John, we see an instance with Nicodemus. This is what happened. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. So this is a story of after Jesus died and was about to be buried. Joseph of Arimathea got Jesus' body, and him and Nicodemus wrapped up Jesus' body with hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of spices. And what led Nicodemus, a wealthy, well-educated, rich man, to do the job of a servant girl? See, back then, this was the job of a servant girl. They made, they made the women do these jobs. They made the ones... Uh, they were the ones that were supposed to wrap up dead bodies when somebody died. But see, we see here Nicodemus paying for spices and wrapping up Jesus' body. What happened? 
Well, my guess is that Nicodemus saw the Son of Man lifted up, pierced for his sins. And just as how the Israelites looked up and saw the snake and were healed, that's what happened to Nicodemus' heart. It happened years later. He saw Jesus, and his heart was changed to acknowledge him as his Savior and to prepare Jesus' body. And throughout this series, we've been talking about mission work and how can we better reach the people around us that don't know about Jesus. And I've been trying to give you practical advice about how to do this. And this is the takeaway I want you to have from this story. Don't give up on someone. Don't give up on someone. Because what we learn from the story of Nicodemus is that it takes time sometimes for somebody to be converted. Last week we heard the story about Matthew, and Jesus walked up to him and said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed Jesus. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you tell somebody about Jesus, and just like that, they believe in Jesus. But from the story of Nicodemus, most likely it took years. Most likely it took two or three years before Nicodemus finally had faith in Jesus after he saw him pierced on the cross. So, don't give up on people. Don't give up on people in your life. Don't say that God could never save them because God has the power to work on people's hearts. Throughout the series, we've looked at terrible sinners, tax collectors, a demon-possessed man, you know, uneducated fishermen. When you look at Nicodemus, uh, he wasn't an outright terrible person in society. He was a good guy. But he didn't think that he needed saving. And maybe you know some people like that in your life. We live in the Twin Cities, and there are a lot of people in the Twin Cities who have really good lives. They have good jobs, good houses, good families, but they don't know about Jesus. So how do you reach someone like that? How do you show them the need that they have in their heart that they don't even acknowledge that need yet? Well, don't give up on them. It might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. It might not happen that first conversation you had. It might not happen the tenth conversation you have. But maybe on conversation 11, something will work. So don't give up on people. That's the lesson that we learned from Nicodemus. Did not give up on people. So may God bless our efforts as we continue to reach out to people as just like how God didn't give up on us, we don't give up on others to share the gospel message. We do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.